0: another can one can you be another,
1: normal what
0: do you mean normal
1: No, you're like bro this is not i feel like we're in i don't know remember shakespeare, shakespeare 15 60 13 16, i feel like we are at the globe you're about to introduce the second act everyone's bloody Larry you, you know the oh, candles oh. are halfway
0: down well what is it politics is it? if it is not an act it's all an act it's all a show it's a pantomime <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora.
0: Welcome to another episode of Not Bane. This week, we are going to be discussing a few things. I will be back to my faithful exposition of Prime Minister's questions. I'll be back on the ball, back on it, explaining the ins and outs. Of the tete a uh, uh, Following that, we'll be uh, discussing the latest revelations from the dark lord of the Conservative Party, Dominic Cummings, who this week released WhatsApp messages from last year, where the Prime Minister claimed that Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, was effing hopeless. We'll then be moving into a little coverage of by-elections, past and coming. There was a by-election last week, and there's another one coming up we'll be discussing both of those and lastly uh, my co-host will be taking us across the pond for our diaspora story this week where we'll be talking about uber's launch in jamaica so yes i am back this week last week i had a bit of a moment as if you as those who listen to the show will realize and if you didn't listen to the show here's your reminder to go back and listen to episode 11 i had a bit of a moment where i just couldn't be bothered because prime minister's questions last week was an absolute joke however got back in the saddle i said to myself Corey you've got to do it it's part of your shtick it's what you it's what makes this show you've got
1: okay relax
0: so yes I did listen to watch Minister's questions this week so we'll kick off with that um our friend obviously starting off with Keith Starmer Keith he's called Keir like this is you Twitter people Keir Starmer leader of Mm -hmm. the Labour Party and Boris Johnson the ever feckless Prime Minister Um, opened up and uh Basically, all of Keir's questions were related to the growing Delta variant of the coronavirus, which is currently uh, ripping through the land. Um, 90% of all cases in the UK now are due to the Indian India-originated India Delta variant. Um, so the first few questions really were Keir Starmer basically having a go up, Boris, not really having a go, just asking him why he kept the borders open um to which the prime minister has he, he responded with what's the trotted out government line for the past month that basically the uh, India wasn't put on a red list till April the 23rd um but even at that point they tried to they tried to rescue it by saying listen we put them on the red list on April the 23rd it wasn't even a variant of a variant of concern until uh, May the 7th. To which Starmer responded by saying, well, mate, at the end of March and into into the start of Mm -hmm. April, India were reporting crazy rises in cases, you know, 100,000 cases a day. Um, So, you know, it's all well and good saying you put them on the list. Essentially, it's politics, isn't it? Both sides are correct. So Boris Johnson is correct in that uh, India was put on the red travel list before... um, the variant was technically raised as a technical variant of concern. However, Starmer's also right in saying, okay, yeah, whatever. It wasn't on the list. Uh, Also, the variant wasn't technically a concern, but it was quite obvious that some crazy stuff was going on in India with regards to coronavirus because of the huge amount of cases. Um, Starmer threw in a a little line, which, again, if the Labour Party had anything about them, they would have just captured that and, and thrown it out and onto all the airwaves or wherever they could throw it out, YouTube, Twitter. He said the Prime Minister is vaccinating. In, no, he was vacillating instead of vaccinating.
1: Oh, for God's sake. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, it was nice. Um, but all in all, Johnson had really nothing to say. He just kept going back to the same old retorts that have that been trotted out for the past few weeks. He had nothing new to say. The only thing he could ever fall back on is is Europe and Brexit. You know, he's his his thing is when in doubt, just talk about Brexit. When in doubt, talk about Europe. So you know, he had nothing to say, so he just turned around and said to Starmer, "Well, if it was up to you, we'd still be in the 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 in the EU, and we would have been subject to the European uh, medicines authority. So we would have not been vaccinating as quick. Blah 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 blah. There is some truth to that. There is also some truth to the fact that certain EU countries have." vaccinated quicker than others because they have taken the initiative so whilst yes um there are certain pan european there were pan european um collaborations which did did hamper vaccine rollouts across different countries in europe i can think of somebody who'll be listening right now who lives in france who will be who's you know he loves brussels so he'll be thinking he'll be saying i'm totally wrong um i'm not totally wrong because there were so that was part of it but also places like hungary Certain other countries, certain smaller countries in Europe, who are in the EU, have 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 raced away with vaccination, relatively speaking. So, yeah, again, he's just throwing it out. But I think this will lead into what we're talking about later with regards to the by elections and sort of the changing political landscape in the country at the moment. And the days of you know just throwing around Brexit as sort of a red meat issue, those days I think are fast disappearing because yeah. it, it it is still an issue in so far as we're going to be spending the next number of years hammering out trade deals for, for good or for ill, but to the average man on the street, it's just not an issue anymore. So I really don't think this kind of constant uh, throwing out Europe when in doubt by, by the conservatives is is going to stick for much longer um, or not as widely as it has been anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, back to the scorecard. I am giving this week to Keir Starmer. I think he was forensic as his supporters love to, describe him as and as you i'm sure hate that description descriptor you do you said um but i'm giving it to him i just think he uh i think partly again this is pretty much what it is every week i'm giving it to him yes because i think his questions were decent but i'm also giving it to him because the responses were crap like he's fighting against an open goal and he's not even like he's not even nailing it it's like football he's like basically you know it's like it's like a premier league team playing somebody in the division one division one league one and, and winning by two nil. It's like, yeah, we expect you to win.
1: But, but if you, you, should win the win, argument you should be winning like 10 nil. But he's winning the argument, but he's not winning the audience. So it doesn't matter.
0: Well, exactly, um, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's only people like me and other people who, you know, <laughs> are that way inclined who are watching it.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, and
1: the clip, but, yeah. he's not nothing he's saying is en- engaging enough to be even, you know, circulating as any sort of short clips. Well, yeah. I don't know so me, if their media team is not cutting and short, showing it as any short clips. Either yeah. way, this, you know, vacillate, vac- vaccinate, didn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, as you know, it's, it's cute for him making all these lovely little jokey jokes. Mm-hmm. No, it's not going anywhere. So,
0: yeah, um, yeah there was something actually, uh, that he did make. A, a last question was regard was in relation to the fact that business rate reliefs and furloughs being phased out. However, the government are telling, especially the hospitality industry who are saying they're going to be losing three billion pounds for this extended lockdown that we're going into. Well, not extended lockdown, but restrictions were supposed to be finally lifted on June the 21st. This week, it was voted through the House of Commons that they're going to be uh, they, they, they're giving them another four weeks. So that's not going to be until July of the 19th. And Starmer raised a good point. He was like, look. You're extending these restrictions, but you're not, but business rate relief's going. You're, you're, furl- you're, you're phasing out furlough. There's been no change mm-hmm. there. Um mm-hmm. Again, thought it was a good question. Um So yeah. Rishi he
1: said he's not extending it, so.
0: Yeah. Well, Rishi is a conservative, a fiscal conservative, as he said he was on GB News this week. We might talk about GB News next week.
1: Mm, don't bring them up again, please.
0: <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, so lastly, when it comes to Prime Minister's questions, yes, then we had Ian Blackford the leader of the SNP in the House of Commons. It was nice to see Ian Blackwood in the house. Um I've been I've gotten used to seeing him, you know, on zooming in from his home wherever he lives in Scotland. And he just is not he's, he's like he's like that uncle who just doesn't, It's not great with technology. His dog's always barking, <laughs> cameras not in the right place. Anyway, and he's always miserable. I mean he's always miserable. What was Isn't, nice Is he though?
1: miserable? Do you Finally, is it,
0: not this week? Is it, a cultural, Finally. is
1: it a cultural difference that you think that means that you think that he's miserable?
0: No, he's miserable. He's just always moaning. However, this week before he he's answered not this
1: moaning, he's arguing his point. Like but he's in opposition. So, it's always going to come across as moaning, but I don't think he's I don't I think mm. you're characterizing him as miserable and I don't think that that's fair.
0: Listen, anybody out there? Just YouTube. will, will you, the link, as ever, will be to Prime Minister's Questions. Will be in the show notes. But if you don't want to watch Prime Minister's Questions, if you're happy with no my, does. if you're happy with my sultry tones in oh, uh, giving you a, a breakdown of it, if not, just go on YouTube. Type in Ian Blackford, SNP, House of Commons. You'll see him. You'll there'll be a one or two minute video there with him just being miserable, and you'll see it. And you'll agree with me. And you'll make a you'll make a review on iTunes. As you Maybe know.
1: it's because there, I have know, so right, much family, right. I don't see it as miserable, but I think. I don't understand how you can see him as miserable at all. He's so animated. He cares about what he's talking about. He's trying, he's, you know, he's having a good time. He's, to me, he's having a great time.
0: Well, to me, he finally had a good time this week because before he asked the question, he made a joke about the upcoming, which was now last, uh, well, yesterday, Friday, Mm -hmm, the england scotland football match. Uh, He made a a cute joke about that. So that was nice. Uh, Finally, he's, first time I've ever seen him smile. Anyway, he used his two questions to ask about uh the the new trade deal that's been signed with Australia. Um he asked what I like about what he does over against what Starmer does, Starmer is very Starmer waffles. Starmer will ask a question, but the preamble will be from here to tomorrow. Whereas Blackford, he gets to the point, he just asks the question and he just said straight, can the Prime Minister confirm that um I think it was 30 odd I don't remember the exact numbers, I think 35000 um cattle and basically the point was that with this new trade deal there's going to be a massive tariff free um increase in the imports of australian beef and lamb and his question was can the prime minister confirm that this massive amount of tariff free australian business and lamb is going to enter the country because a lot of farmers are worried that they're just going to go under um a lot of farmers sadly are going to go under with this trade deal as is um obviously Johnson didn't answer the question. Um, but um, for his incisive questions, I'm also giving us the this week on the undercard, which is Johnson versus Blackford. I'm giving it to Blackford. Oh. So for our first topic this week, we are going to be talking about the latest revelations from Cummings Gate. Nobody's called it that yet. Well, it's not really a gate. Anyway, um, Dominic Cummings, former Chief Advisor to the Prime Minister, leaked some what's, some screenshots of WhatsApp messages between him and the Prime Minister from last summer uh, where Boris basically called Matt Hancock, the health secretary, effing hopeless.
1: Okay, but it's my story so if you could let me give the juicy bits, you're taking all the best bits. So, I was having my morning scroll and I got the alert that Cummings had posted a new Substack and had the uh, very damning WhatsApp Um, a few leaked WhatsApp messages so I read the 7,000 word essay that he had posted did you? I did read it yes ah he did some work don't try that because i be doing the work consistently okay anywho yes I did read it and you know I mean Dominic Cummings really takes himself so seriously and as much as it's really fun to read all the messy gossip it's like Yes, you, we can talk about government failure, but you don't. Every other paragraph is peppered in. Well, you know what I say about streamlining the civil service. And if we had just streamlined the civil service and got in the experts, we wouldn't be at we wouldn't be here now. That's not the point. The the people that we have are the people that we have. So he's basically talking to um, Boris, saying Matt Hancock is not telling the truth. He said we would have a hundred thousand tests by this specific date. I believe it was made that they would be doing a hundred thousand tests a week. They hadn't. They hadn't even reached half that
0: yeah i remember that hundred thousand it's about a year ago i think it was last june Mm it was uh yes and then they no it was two hundred thousand and then what happened he he
1: didn't hit either of those so
0: no what had happened was i remember what happened basically there was it was i yeah you're talking sorry the hundred thousand was the first target then he got to the there was another target further down the road of two hundred thousand and what they did was i remember it i remember it It was it was june i think because the weather was great anyway they got to the I think it was a Thursday as well um don't ask me why I remember that but they they, they got to the target of 200,000 on that day and then the day after it started going back down again so it's like they got all the way up there and then just started going down again but what they also done is they'd like they they'd included tests I think if I remember rightly from the previous day in that yeah. number but they got around it by saying well what we really meant was tests in a 24 hour so course. this what? is what I mean, got, so
1: this is what Dominic was talking about in his um essay. He was basically characterising Matt Hancock as somebody who consistently fudges the numbers or fibs, really, tells lies to the cabinet office. So they would have their uh, daily or weekly 9-15 meeting, you know, as you do your team meeting about where everybody, head of department comes and says, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. Matt would come and say, yes, we're going to meet the target. The target comes and Then he says, "Oh well, uh, actually, it's this person's fault that this didn't happen." Or actually, yes, we are going to do it. Yes, we're doing it. And then, if you go and do any further interrogation with the actual civil service staff, they're saying that's not happening. I don't know why he said that. That definitely didn't happen. The information hasn't gone out. The PPE has not been ordered. The PPE, the ventilators have not been ordered because the price has gone up. But and then, what was most important, I think, was it just showed that uh, the civil service lacks agility, which of course it does. It's a massive state um government you know bureaucracy exactly it runs the whole country of course it has procurement procedures that they follow and if the civil service staff members are to go outside of the the procurement procedures that needs to be given by the head of department i.e the mp that has to be signed off if it's not signed off it doesn't matter if you think that they need to move agile to be more agile that's great but until they get the permission to do that it's not going to happen and throughout it Dominic was just consistently putting his point forward that his way of running, of rehashing the civil services, would be best. And if it wasn't in, if you know, if they had done it his way, this wouldn't have been a problem. That's great, but this is the situation that we're in. And it also showed that Boris Johnson, which we all know, just doesn't really seem to have a clue about what he's doing. Um, But what's most important about think about all of this is that Dominic was supposed to present evidence to the select committee by a certain date which he did not he then a couple of days later posted all you know the whatsapps that he deemed relevant to his point about hancock on his Substack, which is cute but unless you're going to present that any of this as evidence which you haven't what's the point you're just being messy it's like i've enjoyed the read it was fun but it's not getting it it's not getting anywhere in terms of getting justice for people who have died it's not getting anywhere in terms of justice for the country and ousting the government that we have or at least any sort of accountability all it is is just messy personal politics at this point we get it you don't like Matt Hancock no one does we get it Matt Hancock's a liar no one thought he was truthful he was out here doing fake tears on on GB news you know like come on please 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 you know no everything that you're saying we all agree what is important is if you bring this evidence to the select committee we can actually make some solid moves but you haven't so it's all just messy politics gossip which is great but Matt Hancock's still health, health Secretary and Boris Johnson is still Prime Minister, and you got them both there, so get off your high horse.
0: I think um, what's so interesting with this is, so as part of the, obviously like you said, it was a 7,000 word essay, there was a bunch of different screenshots of WhatsApp conversations between Cummings and the Prime Minister, and uh, yes, so there was that infamous line of, you know, basically referring to Hancock as effing useless, and... You also there was also the other the other reported uh, the other more, more reported part of that exchange was with Johnson basically saying to uh, to Cummings you know sort of musing over WhatsApp whether he should get rid of Hancock yeah. and replace him with Michael Golf. Um, he didn't
1: post a response. Oh no, he just said that it won't make any difference. Actually, I believe.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a question. It's a question that a lot of people have had. It's like, okay, why is Matt Hancock still health secretary Absolutely. after after this entire year? Why is he still health secretary? Now, for me, I've not asked that question. The reason I've never asked that question, the reason I've never wondered, is because I already asked that question about a previous health secretary. Um, so Jeremy Hunt mm-hmm. was health secretary under David Cameron. And so we're going back, what, about five or six years now when there was that big row, there was there was those, those long series of rows between Jeremy Hunt, who was the health secretary at the time, and junior doctors. I think it was regarding uh, junior doctor pay, wasn't it? This was around sort of 2014, 2015
1: yeah. if memory serves me yeah. right. And i was I in
0: pay yeah time, yeah i remember at the time yeah i was in pay i remember at the time that me and lots of other people were wondering okay this guy keeps getting trounced by doctors day after day after day after day after day and you know the public it seemed like the public mood was on the side of the doctors and people were like why is jeremy hunt still the health secretary and i remember this i went to dinner and i was the dinner when i was at dinner i was with a couple of friends who wanted a couple of them were like one of them worked in parliament, worked for Tory MPs, stuff like that. Um, and it was it was an eye-opener for me, that conversation in general. But one of the things he mentioned in that conversation was basically the fact that, look, if Cameron at the time, who was prime minister, got rid of Jeremy Hunt as health secretary, then suddenly all the guns that pointed at Jeremy Hunt are suddenly then pointed at Cameron because he's his yeah. boss. Yeah. And so I've always just ran with that and thought, well, that's why Johnson's not getting rid of Hancock. Because if Johnson gets rid of Hancock in the middle of a pandemic, especially yep. at times in the pandemic where the government is seen to be be flopping, then yep. where do all the, the guns next get step, pointed?
1: Exactly. The next step of accountability yeah. is him.
0: Basically and the health not, secretary is uh, a great shield.
1: Yeah, but and also not to um ride out from at Hancock, but like let's be honest, the health secretary in on a regular day is a massive portfolio, you know, like it's a big, it's a big boy job. Well, it's a big boy task in terms of the amount of work. The NHS is underfunded. We know that. However, you're the health secretary in a global pandemic, where the government has allowed all the um, the PPE to expire and hasn't replenished it. <laughs> you know, you've been underfunding the health service. For the past 10 years and now you need money you need ppe you need an agile um you need an agile work workforce essentially and you don't have any of it so realistically this role required him to be on very good terms with his private secretary to be on very good terms with his the key senior members of the health service civil service. I don't know if he is or isn't. And realistically, in most places, this would be a job share. Like It wouldn't be one person heading all of this up. Mm. So, So, and not saying that it's not his fault, because if you're not that great at your job, obviously, you know, it's not your calling or whatever, this would be a hard task. If you're Matt Hancock, who is described as totally effing hopeless, of course it was going to be a disaster. And here we are. So I just feel like It does also, some of this, it does fall on Boris Johnson to have jumped in a lot sooner and be like, this guy cannot manage this portfolio, let's sort it out. And they they didn't. So it's not just Matt Hancock's responsibility. I mean, it is what it is.
0: Chesham and Amersham, a place I've never heard of in my entire life. Well, they had a by-election. On the
1: metropolitan line? It's on the metropolitan line. (laughs)
0: Listen, it's in the southeast, it's in your part of the world. I live in the civilized north, so as I said, it's the first time I've ever heard of this place. Anyway, okay. Chesham and Amersham, but they there was a by-election in that constituency this past Thursday, the seventeenth yes. of June. Yes. And uh, the Lib Dems, the forgotten Lib Dems, mm. won that seat. That seat they took that seat off the Conservative Party. Um, they did indeed. Yeah, that was uh, the numbers there were staggering. So yes. the last time that seat which would have been the 2019 general election, was contested, the Conservatives had a majority of Mm -hmm. 16,000.
1: 16,000,
0: that is a healthy majority. The Lib Dems won this seat this time. They didn't just win it. They won it by 8,000 votes. Um, So as much as I still think they are just as irrelevant as they were pre-2010 and post-2015, just as much as I think the leader, Ed Davey, going on as if he is the new Nick Clegg and he will next he will be the next um, kingmaker is massively overblowing it. And much as I loathe to, I'm loathe to um, agree with Boris Johnson, who played down the victory. Yes, the numbers are kind of wild, but, uh, you know, the Lib Dems need to calm down.
1: Um... I mean, first of all, the Lib Dems wouldn't be irrelevant if centrists didn't spend all their time invading parties on the right and the left, trying to drag them to the centre. Join the centrist party and leave the rest of the other people alone. Maybe if you could garner your own milk toast voters, then you'd get somewhere. But however, well done to the Lib Dems. Bravo. Clap, clap, clap. Um, there's been so much talk about the Red Wall and the Red Wall voter that people have forgotten about the quote-unquote Southern Wall. A lot of, um, there's been a lot of, I think we talked about this previously, actually, where there's a lot of rumblings in the Southern Wall and the the home counties.
0: Yeah, there's a realignment going on. There's a realignment going
1: on. So people are just talking about, you know, Labour are in danger. Yes, as the smaller opposition party. Let's remember the Tories are one of the most successful uh, political parties in the Western world. In history, but the yeah in history exactly. So, but there is also realignment going on over that side as well. So, let's what's happening. I think part of it is Brexit.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Part of yeah. it is you know now that Brexit's happened and we've moved on. We've got the pan the messing up with the what's going on with the pandemic, how that's being dealt with. Even though there is a vaccination, but there is a quote unquote vaccination bump that doesn't last forever. There's realignment of political values. The culture wars, as much as the, a lot of the mainstream members of both parties are not trying to get bogged down in the culture wars, unfortunately, there is, that is on the front pages, and it's on the news stations, and it's on the radio stations a lot. And a lot of people in both on in these areas on both sides do not want to be talking about what's going on in the culture. Like it's, it's all seen as nonsense, and so getting bogged down in what's seen as potentially trying to garner racist or even controversial views and you're mm-hmm. courting them, people don't want to be associated with that.
0: It doesn't work everywhere. Yeah, It doesn't the, work everywhere. The, the culture wars, the Pretty Patel uh, and what's-her-face, Kemi Badenoch-style culture wars. Doesn't work oh, for everybody. Yeah, it isn't. Um, and it, it relates a bit back to what I was saying earlier when we were talking about Prime Minister's questions and Brexit and the fact that you know, Keir Starmer does not mention Brexit, hardly mentions Brexit, or he, he hardly mentions. But he's a
1: remainer.
0: He hardly mentions the fate. No, but no, what I'm saying is he hardly mentions the failings of the government, whether it's to do with the, 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 the mess going on at the moment with trade with Europe and Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland Protocol, or whether it's regard to this new Australia trade deal. He doesn't talk about that because he's mm. so scared of being yep. seen as this remainer. Whereas Ian Blackford, as I said before in Prime Minister's, when I was reviewing Prime Minister's questions, he just because the SNP are unashamedly remain. he, mm-hmm. he, he led on um, an issue with regards to, related to Brexit. So how it's related to this story is this? A lot of these some of these sort of leafy southern seats, um, where you've got people who they are not as, you know, hard up euro haters as sort of the Conservative Party political machine might think. And so a lot of the messaging from the likes of Boris Johnson, Know, sort of bellicose messaging around europe and the sort of you know um will 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 unilaterally withdraw from these treaties right yeah a lot of these people in these kind of you know upper middle class nice leafy southern constituencies mm-hmm. they don't have time for that no some of the, they may have voted brexit they may be they may they may have sort of um agreed with some of the, some of the brexit arguments but when it comes to that kind of hardcore anti-europe they're not about that no they're not they're not about that, so that's that's one way where the Lib Dems. Okay, I'm not going to say they are making inroads. It's one by election. Yeah, but it's, it's potentially true. somewhere where they can maybe pick up another couple, two or three. But
1: I think as well, what's important to talk about in Cheshire and Amersham is the idea of a progressive alliance. I don't want to talk about that too too much because it. I think if we give it more um, power than it really has, we'll end up in a situation that we did in um, Kensington and Chelsea. So. But there was they, there was use of um, tactical voting in Cheshire and Amersham as well to get the Lib Dems in. But like you said about Keir Starmer, what's so important is that he's afraid of talking about Brexit. But and it's so obvious that he's afraid of talking about Brexit that it's it seen as that he doesn't like he's, like he doesn't have any sort of stakes in his politics. He's not like none of his um, positions are brave like he doesn't nothing that he says he doesn't have anything to lose because everything is very fairly it's not even that it's just middle of the road it's like there's, it's, everything is low stakes you won't talk about brexit you don't talk about the culture wars you don't talk about poverty you know you don't you, like nothing that you say is that like, oh maybe somebody might not like it there's everything yeah. you say you're trying to, you're trying to appeal to everybody that's not how politics works you like unfortunately you're going to make enemies Mm-hmm. not even not you don't even make enemies people disagree that's politics is agreeing and disagreeing if you want everybody to agree with you no one's going to vote for you because no one's going to believe that you have any genuine beliefs another or key... you can't pull off not having genuine beliefs like boris johnson can one person has been able to do it so far and it's him not you
0: another key um part of what's played into the calculus of how they Lib them won this seat also is the fact that so you've got, basically, you've got the Tories who are trying to appeal to their new northern voters, you know, people mm-hmm. like me. Um, well, not so much uh, people like me, because I... I
1: mean, oh, 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 we finally got an admission.
0: Admission to what? No, I'm just saying I don't live in, no, I live in Manchester, I don't live in... Yeah, listen, yeah. what I meant was, okay, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is this, all right, you've got yeah. Tories who are, you know, talking about, you know, levelling up and infrastructure and housing especially um whereas you've got people again, you've got people in these sort of seats like Cheshire and Amish- amisham um
1: yeah.
0: uh, they call them nimbys not in my backyard yeah yeah I do so love these kinds of people they don't want to see hs2 they don't so, want to see these new train lines going through that because they their place they don't want to see all of these they don't want to see all these plenty of house building projects they want and that's what
1: the Lib Dems campaigned on
0: anti-HS2
1: anti-house yes we're pro-house building we're anti-house building in this area
0: yeah and but well what's interesting there is is that the local the person so the the lady who's now the MP for that area she she is against HS2 but Lib Dem official policy is pro-HS2 um Mm -hmm. and she won yeah so so it's, it's just it's interesting as I said there's a realignment going on you know, you've yeah. got these traditionally safe Tory seats, but this new Tory party is advocating policies which their traditional voters do not like, and they are they're expressing themselves at the ballot box.
1: They're trying to make the same sort of coalition of votes as Labour is, is where they're but theirs isn't, you know, where they're trying to say that Labour is trying to do a coalition between the Metropolitan elite and the Northern or just in general, the working class the, um, Labor, uh, the Tories are trying to make a coalition between the leafy suburb and the, the northern um, Red Wall so both of them are trying to do the same sort of thing and it will be interesting to see, well it's going to be interesting to see who pulls it off but someone's already pulling it off so so I am doing a Cross upon this week, taking over from Corey who hasn't done it in a while um,
0: Lies, I did, I did the Nigeria Twitter ban last week No one
1: remembers that, uh, we only remember my iconic moments so across upon this week, Jamaica has debuted in Kingston. No, Uber has de- debuted in Kingston, Jamaica,
0: which That's is why the capital. Lies. <laughs> which
1: Kingston is the capital of Jamaica? If people did not know, so you can become a driver if you're over 21 with a car from 2001 or newer, and you have a valid driver's license. What has happened after this announcement, however, is two days later that the Jamaican Transport Authority has actually disputed that um, Uber is legal and that it stated that all public transportation requires a road license from them. So anybody who wants to run an Uber, they're saying, needs a road license from them. That is why on the Uber app, they've actually said that it's a rental rather than a ride because that is an attempt to skirt the uh, road licensing that you would specifically need to run an Uber. The general consensus from the public has been that it's great because anyone who's been to Jamaica knows that taxis are the lifeblood of that country. Um, My biggest thought is taxis in Jamaica usually run as a pool. And so I'm wondering if Uber is also going to be running as a pool in the same way. Um, when I've taken it in other countries and uh, specifically in Ghana you could pay by cash um, once you, when you book the ride you just choose the cash option and they weren't they did not offer pooled services so that would be the most interesting and they have also said that there'll be enhanced background checks and they've been really stringent about um, rider registration and doing all security um checks and stuff like that. Uber has also said that people who own cars in Jamaica can lease their cars and earn their money but I earn money on their cars by giving leases to Uber drivers. And this will be covered by a local Jamaican insurance company that that they'll be working with over there. I think it's great. Obviously, I think it would have been greater if somebody in Jamaica had come up with an in-country ride-sharing app or ride-hailing app, rather. That would have been great like they did in um, Trinidad and Tobago. However, that has not happened and Uber is the second best option. And honestly, as a tourist, it is super it would be much easier to be able to call a taxi to where you are yes I flagged down taxis on the side of the road but you know after seven eight nine it gets very difficult to try and get a taxi if you're outside of the city centre or you haven't got a number so as long as the security is good and the cars are roadworthy, I don't really see that much of an issue with it I think it's good and you'll know how much the price is and I don't mind a little bump but they're not bumping you outrageous and all the rest of it I know you go to the Caribbean rather often. So what are your thoughts, Corey? Don't
0: yeah.
1: Um, I know you love the free market.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's why what I'm about to say might be a bit... Um,
1: what? Fiction. Oh, wow. But hey, listen, <laughs> I love... Turn- a, no, 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 no,
0: I love a regulated free market. market.
1: How oh, the turntables, you no, know, you've not said that. You said you love the invisible hand of a free market. If you're a libertarian, <laughs> a how can you that. love a regulated free market? You cannot be libertarian and love a regulated free market. Those are not the rules of Anrand.
0: Can I talk? You can so, talk. Um, couple of things here. I yes, I like Uber, love Uber. I've used Uber in Spain. I've used it in Germany. I've used it in America. I've used it here, obviously, and as I've also used it in Trinidad, as you were saying before. Um, yes, I love the fact it's convenient. One app anywhere you are in the world. Well, not anywhere, but in a lot of places you can just get around. Mm-hmm. But I also. Especially through through business, I've I've, I've worked alongside sort of um, transport operators in Jamaica a lot, um, and I, I'm just I'm concerned that the there are lots of people who are in that industry in Jamaica who are either taxi drivers, who are van drivers, who are people who own vans and rent their vans out, etc., etc., etc. I'm just concerned that they the I'm just concerned about what will happen to them. Um, which is kind of funny i'm kind of being like how the black cab drivers were in over here a few years yeah. ago and very at the protection. time i was i was against that i was very pro uber and pro you know i was thinking yeah. that the, the cabbies were just moaning um so yeah I'm, I'm just i have a bit of concern i have a bit of concern in terms of how this will affect the guys who and, and ladies who drive taxis in jamaica uh, their own cars or whether they're part of taxi firms um Another thing which I saw online, um, there was a, a, one of the a, a big Jamaican um, personality on Twitter. She um, went from Kingston to Spanish Town. Spanish Town is like another city about, I don't know, about 20 miles away from Kingston in Jamaica. And she posted a screenshot of her Uber app, and it was 1600 Jamaican dollars. That's eight pounds. That's a eight pounds for a journey which will probably take a good 45 minutes, I mean, depending on the driver. I was um, going to say that's not going to take forty-five minutes in Jamaica. Okay, fair enough. Kingston to okay. Georgetown on a good day, you could probably you could probably do that in half an hour, probably less. Yeah,
1: exactly. Seat.
0: Anyway, the point is, it's still a bit of a distance, and it's the equivalent of eight pounds now, sixteen hundred Jamaican dollars. Now, to it's been a couple of years since I've been in Jamaica, and okay. Jamaican out I drive, so I I've never taken okay. a- Spanish. Well,
1: down. let me give but, you an let me give but, you an example of the cost. But, Go
0: on, yeah, that trip. That trip off the top of my head is probably gonna set you back at least three thousand Jamaican dollars.
1: No, it wouldn't.
0: From from Kingston to Spanish town? That's I'm about telling
1: King- you, I, when I go from from uh when I go from Rianova, so Saint Mary to mm. Ochi, that's from one um, parish to another, mm. and that's about a 30-minute um mm. that's about a 30-minute, you know, 20-minute, hmm, 20 20-30-minute 20, yeah. drive. And that's the three of us, it's about 150 uh jmd each so between that's 450 yeah exactly
0: no but going from mm, okay well i'm just saying
1: maybe but, if you're talking about if you're taking a Juter, sure but jutas are famously okay. expensive
0: i don't know i went from nah listen
1: i you, hired a Juter for half a day and that no, cost this, me eight thousand jmd
0: again because but again because it's not overly regulated like things are here you're going to get varying prices all i'm saying is i think that's expensive i went from kingston to fort clarence beach was in saint catherine saint catherine's the same parish as spanish town and that cost three thousand dollars that's a bump but it's from kingston though that's the thing it's probably because it was kingston drivers my point is this these prices to me seem quite low. My experience from using Uber in Trinidad as well, the prices were very low compared to what I would expect to pay here or in America, or as I said, I use it in Germany. So as I said, I'm just concerned that they're going to massively undercut local drivers and local drivers are going to, are going to suffer. So yeah, that's, that's my opinion on it. I probably won't use Uber in Jamaica, but that's just because I always drive now. So yeah.
1: I hear what you're saying. And I actually do think that is a worry, but, as somebody as you say there's about the undercutting but there's also about the overcharging as well that you experience and I don't mind like as I said earlier I don't mind overpaying mm. but if you're asking me to pay you 20 US to drive from the hotel into town which <laughs> I know is a 10 minute drive and you're looking <laughs> me dead in my face and you're going to argue with me to 20 minutes about it and you're telling me oh well Americans always pay it my name is not dunce okay
0: it's a you've t- that too Yes, about I Americans. Do. They love doing that, you they, know.
1: Yes, but they I'm from England. Fish. Americans flew two hours to get here. I flew eight, and it cost me two two fa- and two and a half thousand pounds. So, look, talk to me properly when you're telling me things, because I'll walk there, if you if you, if you and me want to argue, or I'll walk up to the road, and I'll just flag down a taxi. And that is the issue. And I think the biggest people who have to worry are to vans, because the prices are out of this world. I've never paid 20 US. There's a crazy. bigger
0: issue here. You paid two mm-hmm. and a half grand to go from here to Jamaica? champagne socialists <laughs> in business class but then calling for communism for the rest of us I think okay
1: i have uh, not called for communism once what are you talking about where i have not even a communist to right.
0: live in business class and i'm there in economy yeah okay cool all right and i'm supposed to be the mm-hmm. well some of the invisible hand of the free market how does it work mm-hmm. for everybody mm mm-hmm so
1: let's wrap it up with my thought of the week it's just a very quick one it's about um convictions i think with all the government that we have at the moment you know it doesn't feel like well maybe boris but it doesn't feel like people have the courage of their convictions and i think i just wanted to say that it's important if you have beliefs to you know unless they're obviously if they're racist then maybe keep them to yourself (laughs) but if you have beliefs and you think that they're good and right, I think you should have the courage of them. Talk about them, don't be afraid to talk about them. Don't be afraid to work towards achieving them as a goal. And if that's part of who you are, if that's important to part of who you are, don't you know? be full-throated in sharing and talking about them because so many people are worried about, you know, belief by um, focus group. Which is not real. That's not who you are as a person. You, you know, your your belief shouldn't be based on what you know has the, the highest um, approval rating. Your beliefs are based on who you are as a person. Everybody doesn't have to agree with you. If it's not about infringing on somebody else, if you truly believe that's what's better better for somebody, talk about it. Try and get people on your side. We engage in good faith arguments. Maybe your mind will change. If your mind changes, that's also fine too. Because having a strongly held belief somebody convincing you of something else changing your mind is also proof that you're thinking and you're willing to change and you have a belief but your belief is not you know stuck in stone forever and ever and ever last week cory called me a hack and i p- took personal offense to that um i don't think it's true don't say anything cory i don't think it's true but i do want to say that i do have strongly held beliefs i change my mind all the time but i do have strongly held beliefs and i believe in talking about them and i believe in sharing them and i believe in That for me, those are the things that I believe in in and will bring about equality, better outcomes for all, better standard of living for all, bringing people out of poverty, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, those are the beliefs that I have. If you want to change my mind about, you know, reaching those very specific goals that are the most important to me, I'm happy to talk about them. But I'm proud of who I am and what I believe. And I think that if you are as well, that's okay. It's okay to talk about it.
0: Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, NotBamePod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.